Welcome to the DadWork Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of DadWork. How to play and have more fun as a dad with my guest, Mike Rucker. We go deep today talking about how to choose to have fun during your children's activities rather than viewing it as a duty you have to fulfill. Why it's critical to carve out time in our hectic schedules to play with and have fun with our children. Why we as parents need to let go of the need for ground rules and instructions in order to explore and have genuine fun with our children. Being a parent with a growth mindset and modeling it for your children, recognizing that it's okay and possible to learn from our children while also instilling in them the belief that they too can make mistakes and how we as parents can include our children in activities that we enjoy, especially if we're having difficulty enjoying some of their interests. Dr. Mike Rucker is an organizational psychologist, behavioral scientist, and charter member of the International Positive Psychology Association. He has been academically published in publications like the International Journal of Workplace Health Management. His ideas about fun and health have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Fast Company, Forbes, Vox, Thrive Global, Mindful, Mind Body Green, and more. He currently serves as a senior leader at Active Wellness and is the author of the upcoming book, The Fun Habit, available in January of 2023. You can find Mike online at michaelrucker.com, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of which I will provide the links for on the show notes page, dad.work slash podcast. Guys, this is the second part of uh, what I mentioned a few weeks ago in episode number 94, talking about play and joy and kindness and all these things that fill in the positive version of what we usually talk about, which is sort of the shadow and the trauma and the healing and stuff like that. But what happens on the other side of that? How do you actually have fun? How do you positively influence your children with play? Well, we're going to talk about that here with Dr. Rucker. And uh, this was just an incredible conversation with a lot of stuff that I learned personally. And these are my favorite conversations where I'm just asking specific questions for how do I become a better dad? Because I'm right here doing the work with you guys. So this was awesome. I really, really appreciated having Mike on the show. And I think you'll get a lot out of this as well. Before we jump into the show, if you're not following me on Instagram, why don't you go follow dadwork.com. Kurt. That's D-A-D-W-O-R-K dot C-U-R-T. Very active on there. That's where I share the most stuff about becoming a better man, husband, and father. And if you're getting value from the show, guys, would you just take a few seconds to leave a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify? It would help the show incredibly. And it's just a great way for me to get feedback, to make sure that things are going well, that I'm doing a reasonable job, bringing on amazing guests and having great conversations. And it helps this podcast get in the ears of more people because we're pleasing the Apple algorithm, which is something we always love to do. So if you guys are getting any value, please take just a few seconds to leave a review on the podcast app or give a rating on Spotify. Otherwise, here is today's conversation. Let's go. All right, dads, we're back for another episode of the Dad Work Podcast, and I'm here with Mike Rucker, and we're going to be talking about play, which is, in fact, one of the things that's been on the topics of our men's groups and our online community called The Village. And I've been sort of asking guys, like, how do you even play? How do you have fun? Because I don't have any time for that. And that's that's what I think. That's just an assumption. And I know it's BS. And Mike, I'm super excited to have you on because you know a thing or two about this. And so I, I mean, like we said before we started recording, we're just going to go whatever tangents, I'll share personal stuff because I want your input. And I know you got some stories to share too, but maybe we should just start with what you sort of said to me earlier, which is like, there's two rules for having fun with your kids. And from this point, we'll just blast off where we want to go. But what are those two rules? Because like, I think I need them more than anyone. Yeah. So what I found from both sort of academic research and then obviously, you know, my own interaction with uh, 
a daughter and a son is that there are two things. One, you need to let them lead, right? So um, when you're overprescriptive, uh, then you tend to play this adult or parent role. And so oftentimes you're not having fun because it comes from a sense of duty, right? Like, what, you know, if it's a play date, perhaps you're in the park, but ultimately your brain somewhere else because it's like, this is my job. And so I'm just burning time because, you know, it's coming from this sense of duty. And so um, allowing them to, uh, if you're engaging in play with them, allowing them to lead because they're the best at being a child, right? And so they can kind of help you in that sense. But the caveat to that comes to rule two, and that is play isn't play unless you're both having fun, right? And so where I see a lot of parents make mistakes, and this is such a very simple nudge, is that if you're not enjoying your time, you know, especially because we know that a lot of us are time poor, that by just looking at that critically, um, you know, whether it's in units of time, like just by an hour, or you do an actual time audit of your week, which is only 168 hours, um, where are there opportunities where you can co-create these spaces of play so that you're both having fun? And it's often just that simple reframe that makes all the difference, right? Like, oh my gosh, okay. Um, you know, so I'll give an anecdote, you know, from uh, my own experience. And that is that my daughter, I was taking her to um, uh, gymnastics and she's now doing like full blown gymnastics. So th this happened like four years ago. This scenario that I'm describing now wouldn't work because at 10, she wants nothing to do with me. Right. But at six, it was basically just tumbling. So she was doing somersaults and and basic agility exercises. And I would take her there and basically sit there and burn the hour, right? I was sitting on my phone, you know, basically wasting time. And um, I realized, like, what am I doing here? Like, you know, the whole idea is to get her active. What happens if I bundled an activity so that she's still out exercising? Because the, the ultimate goal was to, you know, get her out of the house and off of, you know, her Kindle um, and joined her in this activity. So, you know, again, it was just a simple reframe of adding a little bit of strategy. But instead of burning that hour every Saturday watching her do gymnastics, we enrolled in a father-daughter dance class. And it actually, that's the short version. The longer version is I had just gotten a hip replacement. So I'd actually, I needed to also do rehabilitation. And I found a dance instructor that also had a PT background. And so she made um, rehab relevant moves for us. And so I was able to stop going to rehab, which was another, you know, sucking another hour out of my week and um, create this, you know, co-create this amazing experience where we were both having fun, um, you know, and I suck at dancing anyway. So it was neat because I was like getting to be a better dancer, creating these amazing experiences with my daughter and my daughter was getting the same, you know, now she's an amazing gymnast, you know, meddling. And it was because, you know, those types of um, fundamentals at six can be done dancing or, you know, whatever. Again, that's not something that would work now, but it was an amazing thing I could do while she was young. Now, she doesn't want to dance with me at all. So <laughs> we flipped that into cooking classes. So, you know, because I suck at cooking. So that was another thing where I wanted to gain some mastery. Um, and uh, ultimately, I was looking at him myself during the pandemic, you know, when a lot of people were doing this stuff via Zoom and we were all, you know, trying to figure out how we could have more fun in that environment. Um, but ultimately, we found a place where there's a culinary kitchen because I hate cleaning up. Um, and so we go and do that together because, again, she's aged out of wanting to dance with dear old dad. It's too embarrassing. <laughs>
Man, that is so cool. And I have to ask, like, are you a playful person? Like, are you, are, are you used to having fun or is this hard for you too? No, I think that's what, you know, sort of my uh, hallmark is that I'm not, right? Like I, I'm a bit socially awkward. Um, I'm not, you know, a lot of folks in the play space, you know, folks I call friends, um, uh, you know, are pretty boisterous and that's like, that's in their DNA, right? And so I wouldn't even call myself a play expert, you know, because there is definitely, you know, there's play therapy, which is a very much an academic realm. Um, there are folks that advocate for play, um, someone in your backyard, um, Christian Anderson, you know, is big on Legos and doing, you know, organizational psychology interventions, um, you know, through the play of uh, 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 structural creation. For me, it's more just how do we create more pleasure, delight and joy in our lives. Right. So play is a great tool to do that. But um, mine is really just how many of us are, you know, burnt out, bored or just um as you mentioned, like, I want this in my life, but I can't manifest it for various reasons. Like, and often it is just these either reframes or simple nudges to, um, you know, to kind of unearth opportunities. Um, and all it takes is like three or four, right? Because a lot of times it's all we need. Like we're so devoid of it because again, 168 hours goes so fast, but we generally can um, reclaim, you know, one to two hours of our day if we're really mindful of it. And when we're not doing that, we tend to like crash out on the couch, right? So like jumping into a thought, a lot of us think, well, I'm just too busy or too tired. Like that doesn't make sense. But with some mindful tinkering, and again, we're only talking about, you know, one to three hours in your day, it's actually quite invigorating. So, um, you know, you end up thinking like, well, I'm just doing too much or I'm too tired to do this. You start implementing that. And one, you get more mindful of how you're spending your time, but two, it becomes quite easy because yes, you still need sleep, right? There are fundamentals of our well-being that, um, you know, we, we don't want to over-optimize our time, but instead of plopping out on the couch, we get excited uh, of that dance class with our daughter, or, you know, I see a guitar, you know, in, in your background. Um, that's my next sort of experiment is to see if, uh, you know, my son's turning seven next month. Um, and I play bass, you know, to see if he wants to start taking music classes together, because that'd be another fun thing, you know, that we can um, where we can build this mastery. So just to kind of close the loop on the rules, the reason that it's important to let the child lead is if you jump in there. I don't want to geek out too much on the science, but um, there's uh, something from social psychology called transactional analysis. And as adults, we tend to play three roles, right? Where the parental role um, the adult role and um, the child role, right? And so um, without geeking out or getting too boring, um, we really have a lot of fun in that child role. But oftentimes when um, we're with our kids, we feel like we have to be parents, right? And so um, I've done some research on this and the research has been replicated where you can see this playing out in real life for anyone that kind of wants to do their own field research is at children's museums. Like, so you'll go into these amazing experiential play areas, right? And so all of them have different things, but most of them have like pool noodles and blocks, right? So you can build these creative structures. Children will run in because they don't have heuristics and they don't have, you know, all the, you know, filters that we built as adults that we need to be able to process information because we have so much being thrown at us, but they don't, they're not bound by those, right? They're not burdened by those. So they run in and just immediately start having fun, right? They start building cool things, self-organizing. They don't need any instructions. 
and you where you'll see adults they'll be paralyzed on this on the sidelines because um it's hard for us to get back into that childhood space we need instructions like what the f are we supposed to do here right because that's we know that most of the time like at work if we just mindlessly like jump into something we're often going to get reprimanded right because there is a shortcut there is an instruction book but fun like free creativity and and the ability to sort of express ourselves it's tough when we're bound by those rules and so um in these spaces you'll see that once adults kind of relinquish the need for uh you know for instruction for a map they can explore the territory and really have fun with their kids and they start you know they, they light up maybe even more than children right and so that's a great example of what happens across the board is that oftentimes we think we're playing with our kids, but we're directing or leading, we're turning it into a lesson, right? And that immediately flips the child into thinking like, okay, this isn't fun. This is me at school, even though, you know, it, it's my parent um, because they're trying to teach me something, right? Which isn't engaging in play and fun. And so that's really the mindset shift. Like how can you let the kid lead? because that's a great prophylactic for you jumping into that parent or adult role. Like you're like, okay, let's be kids, you know? And like in that space, allow you to be like, yeah, okay, we're going to break eggs. Like I, I don't need to give you a lesson. Right. You know, and then there are going to be plenty of times where that doesn't apply. Right. You're, if you're trying to teach your kid baseball and you know how to do it well, like that's not play. That's not, you know, that's you trying to, teach your kid how to master a skill and, and there's a place for that. Right. But when you're really engaging in, in fun, you need to get in that childlike state. And one of the best ways to do it is to let the child lead because then you're like, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to be an adult or a parent in this situation. I'm supposed to be a kid playing with my kid. Right. Okay. So that almost to me, it's like, Oh, I have to prioritize fun and play in a way that I wouldn't normally, because I go like, ah, there's no time for that. It doesn't really matter. We need to learn now. And what it's like, it's not like I want to sit my kids down and re- teach them from a book, but it's like, oh, when you were playing this, did you get the lesson? And it seems like what you're saying is like, no, 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 like the lesson will have its time, but fun is good in and of itself. Is that what I'm picking up? That Absolutely. Yeah, because it's, okay. it relinquishes um, a sense of duty from both people, right? So, um, you know, again, those moments of creativity and expression and identity development, none of those happen when you're in that mode of like, okay, I'm a sieve and I'm meant to, you know, I'm meant to uh, disseminate this incoming information being that child role. Right. And so you're granted again, just so that, you know, it's well stated, there are definitely times where you needed to be an parent or an adult. And especially if you're not engaging on one-on-one play, like let's say you're in a group environment and you see your child um, do something that's not appropriate, it you can easily switch back, right? And be like, okay, we're going to turn this into a learning lesson because that was absolutely not appropriate. But I will tell you from my own experience, um, not just you know with my own children, but also coaching other people, that that is the outlier, right? Like for the most part, when you get into these situations where um, you're really being... Uh, you know, uh, allowing for expansive thought and allowing for both of you to have a growth mindset, right? Like that anything in this safe psychological space is free game. Like not only are you going to learn from your child, but again, you're going to 
give them that confidence that they can make mistakes, which is really important, right? You're seeing it more and more, um, you know, in academic literature, we call it benign neglect, right? It's really an interesting Western problem um, that goes beyond helicopter parenting that like we've created these humongous bumper rails for our kids that um, they don't feel like they can break eggs, right? Like everything needs more and more needs an extra, um, an instruction book. And that's unfortunate. It's why folks are getting less creative. Yeah. Oh yeah. That one hits close to home. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the things we've been actively going against is finding ways to challenge them so that they can fail and then be like, Oh good. Actually, this is like super good because if you can't fail well, you just won't try things. At least right. that's what I, what I think. Yeah, um, and I, I kind of want to go into, I've got two thoughts that are coming up just on the personal side of things. The first one is, I sort of, my identity is somewhat wrapped up in becoming a grown up early. Just with my, you know, family situation, I took on the role of, you know, not a kid for very long. That's how it felt to me. And so I feel as though when I try to access player fun, I go like, I'd rather do something else. And I just don't have this like inherent draw to it. And yet when I do something like play hockey, for example, it's like, oh, I do this all day. And so I wonder if there's anything there, like how can people who never really had the space for that growing up get into it? Or is it simply like, yeah, just follow the rules, man. Like just, just do it. No, absolutely. And I think you, um, you know, like anything, it's a skill that can be developed. And um, I've already, you know, just from the short time that we've interacted, I get the sense that when it becomes available for you, you enjoy it. Right. And so I think just being self-aware that there's some discomfort there, uh, you know, it's something that you can start to build on. Right. And so what is it that I can do um, that's fun for me? And with regards to co-creating it with your kids, again, that's kind of, you know, goes to the second rule that so many adults, you know, um, uh, need to be reminded of. And that is that, if something's not fun for you that you're doing with your kids, there are so many opportunities. So, um, you know, if hockey is one of those things, like how can you incorporate your kids into an activity that you enjoy as well? And then uh, there's where you would need to be careful. Like if you are really into it and pretty a type, you know, like, you know, allowing for free play and then, you know, allowing yourself like, okay, well, this is going to be the instructive component of that. But you need to make sure that there's, you know, uh, time reserved for hey, we're just going to have fun. You know, maybe that's letting up and letting them shoot a couple goals on you or whatever it is. Um, but like, it's a balance, right? Because I think some people are turned off like, well, you know, part of my role as a parent is growth in my child. And that's absolutely true. Right. So there'll be components of that, um, you know, using the hockey metaphor that, yeah, of course, it's not meant to be just whimsical all the time. At the same time, we all do need those opportunities to enjoy each other's company. And if you're just teaching all the time and being critical, um, whether it's constructive criticism or not, right, then that's not really a fun situation. That is a um, pathway towards mastery, which is, um, again, a good use of time, but not something that should be all consuming. Right. Okay. That's excellent. Thank you. And the other question that's personal is my eldest really likes to talk. And this is like a blanket statement, but he likes to talk for play. 
and be very controlling of, okay, you're going to do this, then I'm going to do this. And we're like this kind of dinosaur and we're doing like this kind of quest and we're going to do this. And then like, oh no, that can't happen. And he's very particular. And I am so resistant to that. And I just go like, okay, no, actually we're going to play this because I just can't like, dude, I cannot do this. (laughs) And it's like, I feel terrible about it because I want to be able to connect with him. And I just sometimes don't know how, because it's just like a talking game. And with my uh, middle son, who's uh, seven, he's much more just free. He just, oh, it's silly. We do Lego, we jump around. We just like, he just sort of plays and he says stuff sometimes with his, with his words, but it's generally just, oh yeah, but then I can play too. And it's like the, the eldest, I don't feel as though I have this space because he wants to be very particular. So I wonder if anything comes up for you around that and how I can help guide both of us to have fun, how I can have fun in that situation. Um, Do I just have to like go for it? Or is there a way I can wrap all of our interests and try and have fun together? Yeah, I would try and co-create an opportunity. Like if what you find cumbersome is the engagement, you know, like just, you know, the immense amount of verbose language and you're like, um, are there spaces that um, allow it? So there's more interaction, right? And um, you would have to figure out what that is, but like, um, you know, is it an environment where, uh, you know, it requires more activity based play rather than verbal play that you both can agree is fun, right? Another strategy that works for some, it doesn't work for all, um, is savoring that what you're doing is lighting him up. So to try, you know, it's a form of mindfulness where, again, you're not perseverating on the fact that there is uncomfortable aspects of the play you have with your oldest child, but um, really trying to savor the fact that your child is really enjoying the time. And a lot of times, you know, again, mindfulness is a practice, right? But I know that you, you've been getting into it, you know, from doing my own due diligence um, so it is an interesting form of mindfulness that really works well for some people. Like I was uh, talking uh, with a person and she just hated watching her child. Um, this is what her child liked to do. It's a similar story. Apples and oranges, but similar. The The guy loves to take Hot Wheels. They have a long hallway. And for whatever reason, he finds so much delight in just scooting them from one side to the other. Then I'll go to the other side and scoot them. And insist that his mom watches because that's part of it, right? So my first advice was to her was we'll find another activity. And that worked actually because um, the kid's quite whimsical. And, you know, it took some initiative on her part, but they she found some stuff that still um, has that kind of action, uh, like Frisbees and rolling balls out in the back that was almost as enjoyable for the child. And so she engages in that more. There's some distance, you know, and um, but then also this mindful technique really did work for her. And that is that she saw how in, you know, instead of like, oh my gosh, this is such a waste of time. I can't watch another one of these cars you know, go down the hallway. She was focused on um, the, the joy and delight of her child doing it. And so, you know, having her mind there, just watching her kid smile and her kid light up and like how fun it was for her kid gave her a little bit more resilience to spend the time that way. And so, you know, she kind of met it in the middle, um, organized more time, you know, that was enjoyable for her because she enjoys the outdoors as well and being in nature. And then, um, you know, the time, you know, where the child absolutely just wanted to do the cars, 
um, using this mindfulness practice of, um, you know, putting her mind's focus on the, on her child's enjoyment, which lights her up and um, not on like, oh my gosh, this is such a waste of time. So I don't know, hopefully one of those two strategies might work. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And I've actually, I have employed that mindfulness strategy uh, on another type of play, which was Pokemon cards. And I was like, ah, uh, you know, I, have, I I used to play Pokemon cards when I was like eight or whenever they came out. And I just like, for some reason, I wasn't really interested. And I brought this to my men's group and they're like, dude, just play with them. I was like, oh, right. This is about like playing with him. It's about spending time with him, not about like having fun playing Pokemon cards. Like that doesn't even matter. So that's actually a great reminder to me to just like chill because I don't need to be the one having the most fun. I just need to like be there having fun with him. And him having fun is like, it's great to me. So that's a really helpful thing to do. And then I, I feel like I actually outsourced this to our um, our community. I was like, what do you guys do for fun? Like, how do you play with your kids? And so maybe that's another question I can outsource to you. Like, what are some of these things? Because I think every family makes up games. You know, we got guessing games. We've got, you know, be an animal that starts with the letter K and then they act it out. Like, we've got all sorts of games we play. Um, and sometimes it's just, it feels like I reach into the the trunk and nothing comes out. And I don't know if that's because I'm stressed or overtaxed or whatever, but uh, are there any things that have come up either in your household or with the people you work with that are like, oh, these are amazing games to get people just playing and having fun? So that's interesting. Like one of the challenges um, is that fun is so unique to each environment, right? Not only to the individual, but the group. I mean, I can talk personally, but like when I am working with folks, you know, some houses like would love to play Monopoly. The idea of playing Monopoly to others would, you know, like, so it really is about experimentation to like, make sure that I'm casting a broad net to anyone that's listening. Like, you know, you're going to know what it is. Right. But the, the main key is um, to be creative, to have an open mind about it. Um, and then, you know, start to see uh, what I call creating a fun file. Like, you know, keep a list and, and, uh, you know, don't be too quantitative about it, but keep experimenting until something really lights everybody up. Right. And when you do that, when you kind of experiment, like really interesting things will happen. Right. So to answer your question, like, cause if you had asked me off the cuff at what I'm about to tell you, I'd be like, okay, that would never be fun. Right. But it's, it is super fun. So my wife's super introverted, right? I love heavy metal music and I don't get to listen to it a lot um, because it's loud and my wife hates it, right? And so, um, but because I am, you know, this is something that I enjoy, you know, experimenting with fun. Um, I knew my kids love to get tickled. So we created this game where um, I'm allowed to turn on heavy metal music and I, it's called Tickle Monster. And um Basically, we just rage out. My wife goes upstairs, you know, basically puts on headphones um, and gives us that space and we just burn it out. So I'm listening to music that I love. And again, because it's I don't get to listen to it all the time. It's even more enjoyable. Right. And um, I don't know, for whatever reason, just chasing and torturing the kids with tickles has become this amazing game. Right. And then uh, we kind of wind things down. Um, so it gets their energy out. Right. And it's activity again, outside of, you know, just uh, pacifying them with the screen. Um, and then, you know, we spend like five minutes at the end applying super glue and putting the furniture back to make sure we don't get in too much trouble. Uh, and then it's over, but like, yeah, I'm at ha that doesn't 
sound that great until you do it. And it's just like, it's neat. It, I'm at, you know, it's mayhem that I love. Again, you know, I think uh, before we hit record, I, you know, I, I recently uh, hit, a, hit a milestone. I, I'm an old guy, like being able to, you know, play like a little kid lights me up. So um, I also love building. So that's another affinity I have with my younger son. So that's another thing. Like, uh, I'm not a big fan of toys. I, I think like most of us, you know, the science is super sound um, with regards to experiences over things, but I probably go overboard and spoil my child with Legos because I love creating mm-hmm. with him. Um, and so that's just something that we can do together. Um, my son thinks very linearly, or, you know, in a linear, linear fashion. And so, you know, being able to follow instructions and put things together mindfully and, um, and then have, you know, this kind of cool creation. That's uh, something that I found that I really enjoy um, you know, doing with him and with my daughter, we'll play like, you know, silly little games. Um, and again, doing all these activities where it was, uh, skills that I wanted to master anyways, and like bringing her into the fold, um, hasn't degraded that experience for me at all. I would have taken cooking classes anyways and bringing her in, you know, we're probably a little bit sillier than we would be if we were doing it individually and probably learning a little bit slower, but the memories that we're creating, man, it's worth every second. So, mm. yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I've like underlined in my notes is to take classes together. Like I just, I never even would have thought of that, man. So like, this is, it's already immensely helpful. So thank you. And we actually, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, so, cause again, I don't know your children all that well, but like, even if it's an entrepreneurship class, right. There's like, um, some really cool things out there. Like, uh, I don't know it all that well, uh, but I know that there is like a lemonade stand society that's meant to like, you know, um, help young entrepreneurs. And there's just all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, one of the, I, I had, one of the things I advocate is, um, you know, meetup.com. I'm not sure if that, um, how prevalent that is in Canada, but here in the States, uh, you know, it has all sorts of affinity groups. I mean, you're already, you know, part of one, but, if that's something that's devoid in your life, it's just a way to like get started. Right. Like all of a sudden you're like, you know, in, 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 in even modest sized cities like my own, there's a whole host of things you generally can do if you just take like the hour to research it. So, you know, oftentimes when I'm working with people, it's as simple as like, I don't know, there's nothing to do around here. Really? There's nothing to do around here, you know? And it's, it's because they haven't prioritized just taking the time to do it. And so it's like this dam that gets created, right? Because yeah, it does take a bit of work. And, you know, the worst part is maybe the first, you know, one or two tries is going to be like, ah, that was not that fun. But after 10 tries, you're going to find two or three things that like, wow, you know, I want to experiment with that. Like that was interesting. Let's maybe do that again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, um, all of this is sort of bringing to mind the fact of just putting the mindfulness to fun and to play. Whereas I apply it to almost everywhere else in my life. And it's just like fun was never even considered. Like, why would I do that? Isn't it just supposed to like happen? Aren't I broken if it doesn't happen naturally? And that was sort of this like a longstanding belief was like, Oh, I guess I just must not be very fun. And this is sort of refreshing and rejuvenating to be like, Oh yeah, you have to try. (laughs) Like that's actually a pretty good idea. But it's not your fault, right? I mean, we've got decades and decades of a Puritan work ethic, you know, um, you and I seem to have similar DNA. I mean, we've been 
um, bombarded with hustle porn, you know, like throughout the pandemic really changed things. I think the great resignation is starting to, um, you know, dissipate some of that, but certainly pre pandemic, I meant, you know, the idea that you had to hustle, that everything had to be 10%, you know, excuse me, 10 X, um, 110% is what I was trying to say. Um, it's just, uh, we now know that's folly, right? This happened with sleep. You know, if you recall in the eighties and nineties, like people were championing, you know, this kind of, you know, hustle culture was even worse back then. Like we were literally celebrating sleep deprivation. And luckily that has come um, full circle where people know that like even folks that do tell you to like optimize every second of your life are still like, but you need to get eight hours. Right. So you know, it is a great thing that we've come around to that. But leisure, I think, is going to be the next one, right? Leisure in the most macro sense. And if you can't look at your, you know, 24 hours or really 16, because you should be getting eight hours of sleep and find one or two hours in that day that's lighting you up, even if you have to co-create that with your kids or your partner or find it at work, um, that's a real problem. And we know that's one of the major reasons for burnout. You know, we need to take some time off the table for ourselves. And that is now hands down empirically validated one of the biggest reasons for the burnout epidemic that we're facing today. Yeah. Ooh, that that um, rings true for me just in the last week. We went camping over the weekend. It was three or four days. And you know what? With a two-year-old, it's actually surprisingly not relaxing at all. <laughs> and uh, I, I also did not play hockey because of that. And so I'm feeling coming back from it like a little bit just out of sorts, not sure. quite turned on, a little bit burnt out. And it was like, huh, what's going on here? And, and there's a lot to it. But that just reminded me like, oh, yeah, I didn't get hockey in and I didn't get the weekend in. I just like had to be on all the yeah. time for everyone. And the play was nice when it happened, but it was more so like taking care of everyone's needs, being on all the time, making sure that the baby didn't walk into the creek and drown. Like there's all this crazy stuff that had to go on. And it's like, yeah, there was some time alone missed, some playtime missed. So I'm going to yeah, I got to do something this week <laughs> as we're talking about this. Um, but when you were saying like a, an hour to two to three, what about playing with your kids? Is there like a minimum time? And I'd hate to say that because obviously, again, that goes into the hustle culture. And I know you mentioned Gary Vee before we started, but it's like... <laughs> I like Gary, by the way. He, he Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, just, no, Gary's, Gary's awesome. He's just I think like he's super intense. walking it back now. It seems like lately Ooh. he realizes... Um, anyways, I digress, but yeah, <laughs> he's a good dude. Uh, I just want to go on record saying that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, the, like the, there are a lot of busy dads, obviously. And I have plenty of thoughts about, you know, how much we work, whether we should work that much, whether we should have more support in our society. There's a lot of conversation to be had there, but let's just suffice it to say, there's a lot of dads who work huge hours, maybe two jobs. They're working maybe even the night shift. So they get this little window with their kids. And I have heard, I have been told to me, I even tell other men, just get 15 minutes of like 100% attention to your kids when you come home from work. Same with your wife. And that's better than three hours of like 25% attention because you're on your phone, you're tired or whatever. So I think like that sort of, it seems to me and it's worked for me to be a good reframe to be like a little bit of 100% attention is better than a longer bit of like scattered attention. But I wonder if there's anything in there from your sort of more professional background to go like, hey, this amount of time is basically necessary for the kids to get it or or anything like that. So are there thoughts around timing and stuff like that? No, it's interesting. Uh, 
because I've been having this conversation lately and uh, both on the individual level, you know, so not to get us off track, which just came to light. There, a researcher by the name of Cassie Holmes out of UCLA just figured it out at the personal level, like what's a good amount of leisure. Um, I think because the family unit is so dynamic to prescribe that um, would uh, be harmful. So I think that's why academia has probably stayed away from that. I think from what I've gathered, but again, this is disseminating other folks' work, is that quantity probably trumps quality. But what you said in that, it, like this daily ritual it is enough for um, quantity, right? Did I misspeak? I meant quantity trumps quality. I, I hope I said that right. Um, but that to your point, when you are with um, your child, making sure that you don't break that social agreement that you have with them. So if it is only 15 minutes, um, then making sure that that time is with them and that you're being mindful, that is um, hands down the most important because what is eroding a lot of that trust um, that, you know, just wasn't a concern uh, you know, before mobile phones were prevalent is they can tell that we're prioritizing other things than them every time we look at that screen, right? And so rebuilding that trust, like letting them know, regardless of how much time you have to spend with them, that they're the most important thing in the moments that you have, um, that is crucial. And it sounds like you're doing that. Um, and, and that's a way of skirting your question because I don't have a good answer for timing. But I think making it a ritual so that they um, know they can depend on you. And then two, with the amount that you have. Because um, why I am avoiding the question is it's just not fair, right? I, I hate giving any answers that come from a place of privilege. There are some dads, you know, that have sick partners that have two jobs because that's the role they play. And then to tell them that you need to spend eight hours a week to be a good dad, that's just not okay. And it's not who I, you know. And I think, again, that's why academia would, um, you, you know, you probably don't see anything, uh, nothing that I'm aware of. But no, having your kid trust you and know that um, the rituals that you do have, you know, that time that's that's set aside, um, that, that you can be trusted and that you're going to be there. I mean, that's the secret sauce. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense, and that's a very fair way to sort of put it, and in, in a, um, I think a compassionate and a in a right way to put it. And I wonder, is do you have any thoughts on one on one play versus group play? Because I got three kids, <laughs> and it it's logistically challenging sometimes to be like, hey, you get one on one here, you get one on one here, you get one on one here. Um, is there a balance between one on one and group? And do kids like really thrive with some percentage of one on one versus group all the time? Yeah. So my understanding there is that you do want to try and be equitable. Um, so that's what the literature says in practice. <laughs> so again, you know, cause I'm not a parent coach, right? Like, you know that. And, uh, um, but I do talk to a lot of folks that do have that expertise. And so the general thought, um, you know, you know, based on observational data is that yes, you're supposed parody is important, right? Because kids want to feel, um, like they have equal standing within the family unit. Right. Um, but I have some amazing stories where every time someone tries to be equitable, <laughs> it goes bananas. So I was working with, um, one person 
And um, she was using a, a parent coach's method of, of having a, a, a um, timer, right? For And a stopwatch or whatever it was. And so it was this plastic clock that she had got from Amazon, you know, based on a forum similar to yourself that someone had recommended, you know, so that she could be equitable with her two sons, you know, because like you're each going to get 30 minutes and then the rest, you know, we'll figure out as we go. But uh, it was really important to her to make sure that she had uh, reserved, you know, an hour split in two, you know, to play with each so that they got alone time. Um, that timer lasted eight days because one of her sons <laughs> smashed it into pieces. <laughs> it was like my favorite story. <laughs> I mean, we do the best we can, right? Like, and again, to answer your question, you know, concretely, yes, you should, you know, you should try and be mindful of parity, you know, as long as you do that, you know, do the best you can. And, um, you know, that's what's important, right? That each kid feels like there's an equitable share, uh, you know, amongst the family unit. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. And I, um, I'm looking at the notes that you sent over and there's one thing here that says the play model, but P-L-A-Y is capitalized. Um, is that something we've covered already? Because it's talking about finding joy and delight in your existing day-to-day schedule. And I'm wondering if that's similar to like maximizing the time when you're wasting it otherwise, so to speak, with your daughter's gymnastics. Is that the same thing or is there more there? Yeah, there's um, that's more of an individual tool. So uh, the acronym stands for pleasing, living, agonizing, and yielding. And so, I mean, it's kind of a good overview of everything that we discussed. Um, you use the tool by, you know, doing a simple audit of your 168 hours in a given week. And then, you it, you know, it's a four quadrant model. So it allows you to sort of categorize how you're spending each hour. And so um, to use your example of this past weekend, right, I think you camping for you really, you know, if you look at it objectively, um, really was falling in the agonizing and yielding categories, right? Like, uh, so when we talk about having fun, the geek version of that is valence, right? So, um, which is really just a fancy word for pleasure. So when you're in positive valence, you're having fun, right? And if you're not having fun, you're in negative valence. And so when you're using the play model, you would look at it, you would look at the time you spent camping and a good sort of rule for you now is, Next time you go camping, if your objective is to increase the joy and delight in your life, maybe you want to figure out another way to spend your time, right? And so, yeah, it's just a simple tool to sort of organize your time. And I think, again, it's a tool of mindfulness, right? Because when you're not doing that, oftentimes you we've been so groomed to look at our calendar for productivity that having that simple reframe of looking at it, you know, like how can I make my hours more enjoyable is a useful exercise because they can co coexist. You can, you know, audit your calendar for productivity and then overlay it like, okay, well I can accomplish the same task in two different ways. One way is a lot better, right? So let's say the task is, meaningful time with your family, right? Like one way to tackle that task is to go camping. Another might be something a lot more fun for you, like a, you know, a hockey camp, right? Where um, maybe your kids are able to be tended to, you know, by coaches for at least some of the time. So you get some breaks and space within that. And yet you're still all doing it together. So you, you know, you're still enjoying, um, you know, some play with your kid. You know, obviously we're inventing this on the fly, but it happens all the time. Like I don't villainize Disney by any stretch, but that is a great example of people 
that fantasize about how fun the weekend's going to be and only to find that their kids really just wanted to stay in the pool the whole weekend and then they're disappointed, right? Um, so just adding a little bit of, um, you know, hindsight or foresight, um, you know, the play model is an effective tool in that sense because, you know, you, you can parse your time in four different easy to understand categories and then make better choices. Okay. So that seems really useful in a perverse sort of way because like, oh, let's apply tools and productivity to having fun and playing. And it's like, okay, that kind of sounds sick. And at the same time, this is the world we live in. So I wonder if there's anything else like that, that comes to mind that you use with people that you've used in your own life to sort of like structure this better so that we continue to be mindful of it as we go through our lives. Yeah. So, um, it's funny you say that, uh, like before I add an additional tool, I mean, that is, you, you hit the nail on the head with the primary reason it's hard as adults to have fun, right? Because that thought that we have to add it to our calendar, that it has to be prioritized, like is inherently not fun, right? And so, so many of us get hung up on that because we're like, really, I got to do a time audit. But those are simple things that you can just do and then you move on from them, right? And so um, I just wanted, I, I mean, it's a great sort of insight that you pulled out that generally I bring up, but you landed on organically like that. That is one of the things to think about of like you sit, you know, cause you brought it up several times, you know, during our conversation, right? Like this just doesn't sound that fun to like be able to, you know, cross the chasm as it were, but like, it's an easy cross with just some simple reframes. Right. So a, a couple of the other tools, um, you know, is reframing, I call it story editing. So like, you know, um, you know, a great example is the car thing, like, right, like, you're not, uh, or, or in instance with your kid, like, how can I reframe this so that it's fun for both of us? Like, what are aspects of it, where it's just negative self talk that I might be able to, you know, just simply tell myself, um, a great study um, out of UCLA had people simply prompt their weekends um, as vacations, and simply just thinking about your weekend as a, a vacation um, without any other, you know, rules. They're just like, okay, wait, yeah, I get it. The weekend's meant to be a break. Um, allowed folks that space to like detach from work. And um, even when they were doing like domestic chores, doing them with a little bit more joy, you know, because they were making better choices. Like, wait, this is my time. Let me put on my headphones or, you know, let me do this in a more sort of a, a way that's, uh, you know, more authentic to me, kind of flexing your agency and autonomy, right? In ways that you don't do. Um, a couple of the other tools are um, activity bundling. So we've talked about that a lot. Like, uh, you know, again, my anecdote about the cooking class, like that was something I was going to do anyways. So bundling it, you know, with time with my daughter was a great way to basically get a three X on the fun I'm having. And so as weird as that sounds, right? Because now that sounds like a productivity hack, like, just get past that. Like, okay, yeah, it was, but I mean, it's, you know, so much more enjoyable. Right. Um, and then one is another tool of mindfulness is, you know, really um, taking time to savor. Right. So once we start to think back to the times that we had fun, either um, recently so that we're learning like, wait, I really do want to do this more or thinking back to our childhood, like, you know, I really wish I did do that more. Like that's a long lost thing. Uh, that starts to open the door for all sorts of ways to invite fun and delight um, further into your life, right? Because all of a sudden you'll be like, 
wait, I really liked doing this when I was eight. And this is something maybe I could introduce to my oldest son that could reframe, you know, this verb, these verbose episodes that we're having that I find exhausting. Um, and I really enjoyed this and I bet I'd enjoy it again. And I'd love to introduce it to my kids. So that kind of savoring, reminiscing and relishing um, memories, both recent and, and, and from your past are, are great tools. Oh yeah, that's really good. And we talk about that in parenting sometimes as well, which is like you, you and your memories of childhood are like some of the best parenting tools you've got. What felt good to you? What didn't feel good to you? Well, do the good, don't do the bad. And like, that's a great way to use yourself as a bit of a, a litmus test in terms of how you're going to parent. And so why not do that for fun too? And that is how I started playing hockey again is uh, I actually started playing hockey again in Thailand when we moved there for a couple of years with the kids and we were just traveling there and it was like, oh, I, I saw this ad on Facebook or something. It was like, oh, come play with the local hockey team. And I was like, oh, I love hockey. I haven't played in years because I thought like I was too busy, whatever. And I started playing and I haven't stopped in like the last five or six years. And it was just because I went like, oh yeah, I loved that. Why aren't I doing that again? So that like auditing your time now, auditing your life as a child and putting like, the, like you said, the productivity hacks together, man, this is like suddenly it's all speaking my language and it's like, oh damn, I'm going to do this like immediately when we get off this call and just trying to have more fun. Um, and I want, there's two last things that I want to touch on. One is like, I don't know how much time we're going to have for this, but I want to hear maybe more of a, like a why this is so important because I think we all get it, but I'm sure like from your perspective, you've got some more insights scientifically about like, actually it's better for your life if you have more fun and joy. Um, and then I want to touch on, on your book and um, then we'll sort of wrap it up. Sure. So this one was quite profound because it's not when I went into researching this, um, you know, it, it was for some interesting reasons. It's funny. Usually I bring up my origin story and we're not going to do that because I actually find it refreshing that you didn't ask me that. So, um, but long story short, there is the I'm, I'm a big believer in positive psychology and my little brother unexpectedly passed away. Right. And so that's why I started researching fun, because um, I was always kind of constantly pursuing happiness. And that went awry when my brother passed away. So that's what started me on this long, you know, big journey of, of studying fun academically. But as I've kind of evolved past, you know, the, the needs of the self, something quite profound is that when we're having fun, it relinquishes us from uh, that, those burdens of the self, right? Like we just all of a sudden feel connected to something outside of ourselves. So, you know, whether that's to our friends and understanding that um, we need each other, or, um, you know, if you find your fun doing solitary activities, like even, you know, in your, you know, when you're in flow in hockey or, you know, you find it, you know, on nature walks, you understand that you're much smaller than you once believed you are. And once you understand that you're smaller than, than you thought you were, you know, when you were stuck in your own head, all your problems seem smaller too. Right. And so we're just so revved up, right? Like everything is our problems of our own making, right? Like, we don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We're not doing enough as a, as a, you know, dad or a partner or whatever it is. Like all these things are kind of contrived when you peel back the layers. And when you have, you make that space and start having fun for the sake of fun, you relinquish yourself from all of that. And you realize like, oh my gosh, like I, I have the agency and autonomy to like, my problems aren't that big. And I think that's what allows us to, 
why leisure is so important, right? Is that um, it frees us from those sort of burdens of the self. Um, and we also get that at any given moment, we can kind of change our circumstance for the most part, unless we're like chronically ill or whatever, um, because you can have fun no matter what your economic circumstances or, you know, your place in life. I mean, you can always walk out of your, you know, your door for the most part and, and go for a walk or, um, you know, connect with a friend or whatever it is, whatever you find fun. Um, and it, and so by doing that, you understand that your problems are much smaller than you once, you know, made them out to be. And I think that's the most profound part. And that's why leisure is so important. You know, those escapes, whether it's coping because you really need to cope or it's, um, you know, being expansive and realizing that nonlinear thinking, being creative, finding pleasure and, um, you know, just giving yourself space is, uh, you know, is frame and connects you to something much bigger than yourself. Mm, man. I really like that. Maybe I should have led with that. So everyone's like, oh yeah, I got to get some of this. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that. And that makes so much sense. It's almost like another tool in the so-called like mindfulness toolbox we talk about sometimes. Um, people want all of this. They don't want to be so burdened by the problems. They don't want all the stress of finances and whatever. And this is often like the last thing people turn to. It's always, okay, where can I optimize? How can I meditate more? How can I take things out of my life? But if you added fun and you could get all those things, like not only do you get what you want, but you also have fun. Like what this seems like, uh, not, not a magic bullet by any means, but like cl pretty close to it. And I'm really excited by this. So thank you for sharing that, man. Oh, of course. Yeah. Like it, it's just timely, right? I think we're all right. You know, for absolutely there's some serendipity there, but I think with the pandemic, we were able to all reevaluate, you know, what was important to us, right? Because we did lose, all of our autonomy, really, right? We were being told what to do. Um, and then also a lot of things that we took as absolute was, you know, I mean, even as something as benign as like, you know, 80% of the population feeling like they had to go into an office to be able to be productive and that just being shattered, um, you know, I think we're able to reassemble our subjective reality in ways that can behoove us if we mindfully take those steps. Like, wait, okay, wait, I have a lot more, um, agency about how I do spend my time than I once believed. Um, and so that's, that's a great gift that this really horrible, you know, last couple of years has given us is I think a lot of people have wised up and awakened to the fact that they can recreate their lives in a way that's still in line with social norms, but um, serves them much better. Yeah, man, here, here. Okay, can you tell us about your book and where people can find you as well in the next couple minutes, however long you got? Because I'm, I'm cool to, to listen because I'm interested too. So ah, Thank you so much. Yeah, so um, I have a book coming out through Simon Schuster. It drops um, January 3rd of next year. So a little bit of time, but um, would be grateful for anyone that wants to pre-order it. And then, uh, yeah, I blog at my website, michaelrucker.com and I'm on Twitter under the handle Perform Better. Nice. And what's the book about? Uh, it's all about the science of fun. Yeah. Oh, nice. And what's it called? Uh, the Fun Habit. Did I not give the title? <laughs> no. <laughs> Publisher and the date. That's so funny. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the, the Fun Habit. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Is that uh, presumably on Amazon and anywhere else books are sold? That's correct. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, we'll put that in the show notes too. Um, and if there's like a, a pre-order or something like that, we can put that in there. And um, 
yeah, man, thank you for this. Thank you for reaching out. And I said before, it was like a really good reach out email. And I was like, oh, I got to have this guy on. And it's so timely, not only for the societal reasons that you said, but because this has been like the conversation that we've been having lately. And so I'm like, I'm going to get this out to my guys early before it goes out. Cause it's probably going to be a little while before it goes out. But um, man, thank you so much for sharing this with us. I appreciate this. Uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Dad Work Podcast. That's it for this episode. But if you would like to stay in touch between weekly episodes, why don't you go over to Instagram and follow me there? Because I drop a number of things throughout the week that are related to what we talk about on this podcast, but usually go a little bit deeper, provide some tips. You can find me on Instagram at dadwork.curt. That's D-A-D-W-O-R-K dot C-U-R-T. And please, if you have been getting something out of this podcast, if it has touched you, if it has improved your marriage, your parenting, your life, would you please leave a quick review on Apple or Spotify? Leave a rating. If you have a few extra seconds, leave a quick review. That's the best way that we can get this work in the hands of more fathers. And I truly believe that we change the world one father at a time because each father that parents better, that loves better, raises children who do the same. And in just a couple of generations, I feel like we could be living in a world much better than the one we live in today. Your review will help along that path. And I thank you so much for being here and listen. Until next week, we'll see you then.